That's the sound of most of the world right now. The FIFA World Cup, soccer's premier tournament, is happening in Qatar through mid-December. 32 national teams battling each other to be the best squad of them all. One of them is Mexico. Oh, Mexico. Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. I'm first-generation American, born and raised here in San Diego, but my heart and passion always roots for it. All things Mexico-related. That's Steve Garcia. And like him, Mexico is the birthplace of my parents, too. It's the home to El Tri, the nickname for Mexico's soccer team, named after the country's tricolored flag. It's the team and the country that I love to hate and hate to love. And I'm not alone. I'm just one of hundreds of thousands of American fans of the Mexican national soccer team. When the U.S. team plays, I'll put on my jersey and represent the country that I'm from. But if they're playing Mexico, they're going to have to take a back seat to El Tri. El Tri is always good but just never good enough to have ever won the FIFA World Cup. And yet, the team's binational fan base is all in. I'm an American-born Mexicana. My parents are Mexican descent. Uh, I'll root for Mexico, and then I'll continue rooting for Mexico even when they're out, but then usually go for the underdog. But no, I've never struggled between rooting between Mexico and the U.S. Yeah, there's a lot of pride that El Tri fans have for our team. And really, we don't really care that much about the ultimate results. Mexico has some very dedicated fans because soccer is big, a big entity. A lot of Mexican fans are, we're big, uh, big fans of the slogan, win or lose, we still booze. No comment to that. But soccer is more than just a game to us. It's estimated that more than 60,000 fans of El Tri are in Qatar to watch their team play in this year's cup. Sadly, I'm not going to be one of them, but I am going to be one of the thousands, if not millions of people on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border that are going to gather in bars, homes, even big public venues to cheer Mexico on. El Tri is one of the only teams in the world with such a unique fan base, essentially split among two countries. I feel more, I don't know if I would say prouder to be Mexican, but it's just like I have that pride and like I want like my team that come from that country to win. How the team fostered this borderless fan base is both a history lesson and a metaphor for immigrant life and joy in the United States. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Friday, November 25th, 2022. I hope you enjoyed your turkey. Tomorrow, Mexico plays Argentina in its second game of the FIFA World Cup. Today, we talk about why so many folks follow El Tri, even though all they do is break their hearts. Leon Krause is co-anchor of Noticiero Univision Edición Nocturna. That's the Spanish-language network's late-night newscast. He's also the producer and narrator for Al Grito de Guerra, a new six-part documentary that documents the history of the Mexican men's soccer team over the past 40 years. Leon, welcome to the Times. Thank you, Gustavo. It's great to be with you. Okay, you've written books before on El Tri. You've done documentaries on them before. And now this one. As a reporter, what interests you about their history and what the team means that you keep going back to them again and again? Well, it's, it's a fascinating story for many reasons. First of all, the link that the team has with its fandom on both sides of the border, right? This is the only national team whose fandom can be very clearly divided between two countries. First, obviously, Mexico. 
And then the way our fans and ourselves, right? So I'm part of that fandom, feel about the team when they come play in the United States. I've been in the stadium many times and it's a fascinating, touching ritual how for 90 minutes Mexico comes back for just 90 minutes. It's really a touching connection link to Mexico uh, itself. And then there's the sporting side, Gustavo. This is a tale of two sides of the same coin. First, the proximity of excellence, because for the last seven World Cups, Mexico has made it out of the group stage. Only Mexico and Brazil have accomplished such a feat. Uh, not Argentina, not Germany, not France, not Italy, only Mexico and Brazil. And then we've lost seven times in a row <laughs> in eight round of 16 matches. And each of those is like a novella, <laughs> really. You and I and many of our listeners know this history, but not everyone does. So explain what El Tri is. Place them in the world of soccer right now. Are they the best, the worst, a bunch of cualquieras, whatever? <laughs> if you judge by the pessimism, recurring <laughs> pessimism in Mexico, you would think that we have one of the worst teams in the world. But it's just not the case. I mean, we've solidly placed among the top 16 teams in the world for over 40 years, around, let's say, the 13th spot, more or less. Yeah. So, listen, that's pretty solid. If you translate that into the world economies, for example, that's pretty solid. And so we are not there at the top, top level, but we are right below it. I don't think that there's any team in the world, during the World Cup, that would be comfortable facing Mexico. And if anyone has any doubts, they should just ask Germany <laughs> in the last World Cup, for example. And the Central Americans have stunned the world champions. Germany can't believe it, but Mexico have held firm. Yeah, I remember that big win for Mexico. Oh my God, we were loud. We were so happy. But then we were no match for Brazil in the round of 16. And that's where we've been for all the World Cups that I remember. Uh, always a wild card, a good team, really good, but just never quite good enough to make it to the end. So has Mexico always had this sort of standing in the history of the FIFA World Cup? For the longest time, it was, it was beyond mediocre. We never really managed to win a game outside of Mexico. The country celebrated like mad when at last in 1962 they, they won a match and in 1966 when in Europe for the snatched point during the World Cup. But then it all changed in 1986 when we had a World Cup in Mexico and definitely changed around 1992 when Cesar Luis Menotti, a legendary Argentinian coach, came to Mexico and basically changed the mentality of the Mexican players. Mexico began competing at the highest level and from the 1994 World Cup on, we've made it out of the group stage solidly in every group imaginable against the hosts, against the former champions. But then there's that other side, the recurring wound that is El Cuarto Partido, the fourth match, round of 16. Why Mexico gets so close but not close enough after the break. Leon, you talked to a lot of the members of the Mexican national team, past and present, but how does the wider soccer community see El Tri? Do they think Mexico is a threat or just so-so? We interviewed really 
a lot of people. <laughs> Mexican players from the 1960s to our contemporary heroes and every generation in between. We interviewed our rivals. We interviewed the Americans. We interviewed the Germans. We interviewed the Argentinians. And when we spoke to the Argentinians, for example, three of them, Mexico has faced Argentina in two World Cups in that do-or-die stage of the round of 16, 2006 and 2010. They beat us uh, both times in 2006 with the best goal of the tournament. And the Argentinians say that there's just a little mental step there in Mexico's mental preparation. Let's call it the killer instinct. That little step that allows team to close a match the way you should do, not only soccer, but in life. <laughs> and something that certainly stood out for me from those conversations, the fact that Mexico maybe lacks that little step that might be crucial when it's do or die. Do you see it as a metaphor for the country? I do. I do. I do. I think that even the pessimism, right? In Mexico, people tend to believe that the country is perennially in the dumps and we have nothing to offer, blah, blah, blah. That's just part of, of the spiel. And it's wrong. Objectively, Mexico is a key player in the world economy and we've been very close to excellence as a nation and taking that last step. But there's always something missing. Is it also that sort of universal mental step that we're missing? I don't know. But certainly I think that the Mexican national team could be seen as a metaphor for the country. But that not only happens in Mexico. could say the same about many other teams across the world. But in Mexico, I think it is the case for sure. How have you seen the Mexico-U.S. rivalry ebb and flow with American politics? Did you see fans of El Tri being more passionate during the Trump administration? Are you seeing it less passionate with the Biden administration? I remember that during the Trump years, there was a match between Mexico and the United States in the United States. And both teams came together and, and stood in, in this typical line of in soccer, no? And hugged each other as a way of saying we, we stand together against the most dangerous expressions of nativism. I'm sure they wouldn't explain it like I just did, but <laughs> that's how it felt, right? That was the message. And I still believe that even though this is a real rivalry and Mexico dreams actively of defeating the United States every chance that they get in a soccer match, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. And I think that there's many more things that unite us, both countries. And I think that the Mexican-American community is a pretty wonderful expression of that, than, than things that divide us. And I hope that when it comes to soccer, we get to see that increasingly and we get to see that in the 2026 World Cup. That does not mean that if we meet again, we will not be rooting for Mexico and obsessively against the United States. But I can tell you that my own kids, I have two kids that were born in, in the United States and one was that was born in Mexico, and they root for Mexico, but immediately after they root for the United States. Yeah, people always talk about how soccer is more than just a game, more than just sports, it's political. You could say the same for every country, but what you have long made the argument for, and so many people who follow El Tri, is that the one thing that really makes Mexico unique is that fan base. And every men's national soccer team in the world has very devoted fans. But how are Mexico's fans different than those of other countries? I've thought about this a lot, being a binational Mexican myself. And I do think that the main difference is that our fan base is, 
is divided between the United States and Mexico. And each fan base has its own very clear way of rooting for the team, of being devoted to the team. I can't think of another similar scenario in world soccer. Maybe Turkey with... Turkey uh, with Germany. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But other than that, I really can't think of any other example. And then, of course, we put our money where our mouth is because Mexican fans show up all over the place. And I know fans who save for four years. Yeah. The moment the World Cup ends to the moment the tickets come out so that they can go. And people save money every day with great effort to go and root for the team. And it's very touching. What makes me laugh about the fans is when they go to the games. Here in the United States, we care so much about representation. How do Mexicans come out on media? Ivan al juego and they have their big, huge sombreros with fake mustaches or they have Aztec headdresses like they dress up in the stereotypes of what how the world views Mexico. But they're proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. We interviewed a very famous soccer fan. His nickname is Caramelo. And he has his his mariachi hat uh, with the with the, with the logos of the World Cup, and he goes there carrying a fake World Cup trophy, and and oof, the list is very long. Yeah, and we sing our songs, and uh, I would encourage everyone who's listening, if they have a chance now that the World Cup is coming over here to North America, even if they don't like soccer they should go to a World Cup game. And if, and if in that World Cup game your country is playing, all the better. Try to do it. Because it's an unparalleled human experience to be in a World Cup game where your team is playing. It gives you hope, <laughs> not to get too lyrical, but it gives you hope that community is possible for humanity's sake. So make an effort in 2026. Coming up after the break, poor Mexico. So far from a World Cup, so close to the United States. Leon, unsurprisingly, the biggest rivalry El Tri has in soccer is with the United States. Unsurprisingly. But <laughs> uh, it all began with, with a match, with one legendary match. The fire of the United States into an early lead. Just eight minutes in. The 2002 World Cup match. And there's one particular interview that I find fascinating. This colleague of ours, a journalist, Ivan Casanseu, who's very close to the American team and knows many of the players from today and from that era, told me that the Americans saw that match as the opportunity to define a rival. And a painful imminent exit for Mexico is soured further. Whoever won that match would basically dominate, at least mentally, if not historically in the numbers, the rivalry. And Mexico didn't see it that way. And the result is that Mexico lost. Sentencing their neighbors to a round of 16 exit for the third time in a row. Full time, Mexico nil, the United States too. By the way, that's the clearest defeat that Mexico has had, in my opinion, over the seven matches that, we, that we've yeah. spoken about. Uh, unimpeachable defeat. And so the fact is that it's very unlikely that we are going to see that match in the World Cup again. And so that defeat has defined the relationship from the Mexican side 
You can hear that from Rafa Marquez and from the players who were there. And it has also defined the rivalry for the Americans with the Dosa Cero. Yeah. It's a fabulous rivalry. No, I remember seeing that one. I was with my, you know, I was, would have been 23 years old with my cousins y todo eso. And I remember after the loss, we're like, this isn't supposed to happen. Like if there's one thing that we Mexicans have over Americans, mm -hmm. it's soccer. Yep. And yeah, we've lost to, to the United States in the past, but just whatever, Gold Cup, friendlies, look, that doesn't matter. But in the World Cup, we're supposed to win. And now to see us lose to the United States in the round of 16, that was a psychic wound. Esa sí dolió. That one really hurt. Oh, yeah. But the list is long of those, those matches that hurt. For me as well, I think that's probably the most painful because when you lose to your biggest rival in the world's biggest stage in a match that is very unlikely to, to be played out again because in sports, you always have next year, right? I mean, the, the Dodgers can lose to the Padres, but there's always next year. And we can face each other again in that same situation. Odds are pretty solid that we might. But to face one specific rival, especially from the same region, in the World Cup, very unlikely the way the World Cup draw is set up. So that was painful. But there are others, Gustavo. There are others, like the, the penalty kick against the Netherlands. <laughs> Always away here, Robin. Always done brilliantly. Goes down. Penalty! There are others. <laughs> What do you remember? You're talking a lot just as an objective reporter right now, but what do you remember about the first time that you saw Mexico play the United States in the United States? There was so many fans of Mexico and so passionate for Mexico. You mean against the U.S., right? Yeah, against the U.S., but yeah. it, the United States against Mexico in the United States. Well, the first matches I remember were played in California and in the southern part of the United States. And the American players would tell you that they didn't feel at home. They feel like they were the away team. And it really felt like that. But then the Americans made a decision that also changed the rivalry. They moved the game to the least Mexican place in the United <laughs> States. I don't know if it's the least Mexican, but it certainly feels like Columbus, that. Columbus, Ohio. Exactly. It certainly feels like that when you go there. And all the more for a soccer match in the cold, Columbus, Ohio. And so when that happened, the rivalry also changed because to beat the United States in their home turf, which is for this sort of match, the cold of Columbus, Ohio, is very, very difficult. Almost as difficult as beating Mexico in Azteca Stadium, which remains the Americans' biggest dream to do it in official competition, not in a friendly, in official competition. Uh, you know, so to be there in, in the stadium in, in Ohio, I, I've been there once. Man, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> you feel the passion for soccer among the American fans. And I love it. I love to see it. And I think especially people who don't follow soccer can't appreciate just what the Americans moving their matches to Columbus means. Because as a teenager, I don't know if you were here yet, Leon, but in the 1990s, I would remember when the U.S. would play Mexico, like in the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum. We're talking about places, 80,000 capacity, and 79,000 of those fans were rooting for Mexico, and maybe 1,000 were rooting for the United States. And it was crazy. The Mexican fans were booing the American national anthem and the fans of the U.S. teams. 
And it went beyond the sporting realm and it got into politics. Conservatives started pointing at those games, as you said, as the American soccer players themselves said, we feel like we're not at home. The conservatives, talk radio politicians are saying, you see, this is proof of reconquista. This is proof that Mexicans will never assimilate into the United States, that they are a menace to yeah. this country. And they'll still complain about this to this day. So why do you think Americans get so upset that Mexicans here, whatever generation, almost overwhelmingly do root for El Tri? Well, you know, I think it's ignorance, frankly. We've spoken about this during this conversation. The link to the home country, the link to Mexico, is still very much alive because of the proximity of the country. So to ask someone, a first-generation immigrant, to, or even a second-generation immigrant, even if this country has given them everything, there's, a, there's an emotional link to what was left behind and to the family that's, that was left behind that, that soccer provides very clearly. I remember I met this immigrant um, from Michoacan in Alabama, and I asked him, so tell me, who do you root for? when it's Mexico against the United States. And he says, of course, I root for Mexico. And then I asked him, what about your kids? And he said to me, well, my kids root for Mexico, Mexico most of the time. Mexico. <laughs> and what about your grandkids? And he swallowed hard and stood up and came back like 10 minutes later and he told me, ahí sí me tocó usted el corazón. You touched my heart. Because he realized that his grandkids did not root for Mexico. And that's natural. That whole family is a natural expression of how soccer should be seen in a binational household, in a Mexican-American household. Uh, again, I think it's natural, and even the progression towards the American team is natural. We shouldn't, I was going to say, rasgarnos las vestiduras, but <laughs> <laughs> soccer is all about passion. So who am I to say? What does that do, though? Not just that, but also the U.S. now regularly beating Mexico. What does all of that do to the Mexican psyche on either side of the border? Well, I would argue that, that it's a pretty even rivalry. Yeah, but we were never supposed to lose to the United States, Leon. We were always, this was the one thing we had against los americanos. Y ya ni yeah. tenemos eso. <laughs> ya ni eso. Well, it's not good. I can tell you that. Over the last few years, we lost three crucial matches against the United States finals. And then we tied against the United States in, a, in Azteca Stadium. And I remember during the game at Azteca Stadium, Gio Reina, this very skillful uh, young American player, there was a moment in which he dribbled around six Mexican players in the midfield and got fancy. And I remember getting very angry and thinking and actually saying, maybe on Twitter, that he should be brought down. I mean, again, cleanly, but forcefully. And some people wrote me back uh, and said, you know, they shouldn't do that because X and Y and they should take care of the yellow cards for the World Cup. And I thought, that's wrong. You have to make your home turf felt in soccer. I, I was very angry that they just let him run with the ball and do fancy stuff in Azteca Stadium, a sacred place. So I think that there's a real rivalry and we're going to see things evolve, hopefully always peacefully, always in the sporting arena. And now we have a wonderful opportunity to showcase also the many things that bind us, which are many things, which is the 2026 World Cup that we are going to organize together with this other country called Canada, which has also grown as a soccer team, by the way. So we'll see, Gustavo, we'll see. Maybe in that World Cup we'll get to clash again in maybe the semifinals. Why not? Let's dream. And Mexico can finally get our revenge. 
Finally, Leon, will Mexico ever win the World Cup? Hmm. Or does it even matter? No, it matters. Of course it matters. It's a dream for millions of people. I think that Mexico's only hope at winning a World Cup is to do what France and Spain and Germany have done for a long time, or Argentina and Brazil, which is really prepare and compete at the highest level. And, you, and Uruguay. Uruguay is, is an incredible story, a country of three million people. How many people are there in L.A. County? Seven million, not 20 million. Okay, so oh. just think of that. A country of three million people consistently produces the most excellent soccer teams in the world stage. Why? Because they, they keep exporting players, sending players when they're teenagers to compete at the highest level. We have to go back to that. We have to keep on sending players abroad, stop playing only friendlies in the United States and go to Europe. Push ourselves. That's how you excel in life, not only in soccer, but in everything else. If you, you have to leave the small pond, Gustavo, always. And by the way, isn't that the biggest lesson that our immigrant community has taught us? I think it is. And look where they are now, you know. Leon, thank you so much for this conversation. Y que vaya el tri. Gracias a ti, hermano. Un abrazo y fuerza al equipo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Kinsey Moreland and David Toledo were the jefes on this episode, and Mike Heflin mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Tasha Brasali, and David Toledo and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicolas Perez. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Urbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Weepin. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this madre. Gracias.